What a mighty redeemer. Amen. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. What a blessing it is to stand before you this morning. I see some guests. Uh, welcome. We hope that your uh, worship here this morning has been uh, in spirit and truth because that's what the church is about. Amen. When we worship, we worship in spirit and truth. I think about Revelations 5.13, and the Bible says, Every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever." And ever. Amen. This morning we are continuing this journey with Jesus to the cross. In our curriculum for our Bible classes, we're talking about the last week of Jesus. And if you would turn with me to the Gospel according to Mark, uh, chapter 11, and we'll be dealing with verses 15 through 19. Now, I've got some other scriptures that I want us to go to this morning just briefly. Uh, I won't have time to deal with them. Uh, as in depth, as much in depth as I'd like, but I do want to uh, focus on some other scriptures uh, to help encourage us this morning. The title of my lesson, if I usually don't like to give a title, sometimes I do, but this title of this lesson is called The Temple of God. Let's read it. So they came to Jerusalem... Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves." And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. As Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he goes into the temple. He sees people doing things that they're not supposed to do. And what does he do? He drives them out. He drives these people out and He doesn't allow them to continue carrying these household utensils or this domestic gear and having it be a trading post in the temple, in the court of the Gentiles. As they walked into the temple where the Gentiles could be at, they were selling things. Very unacceptable. And after he gets done overturning it, I want you to notice something real quick in verse 17 before we begin. He says, Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written? Is it not written? Every situation, no matter what, and we talked about it in Bible class, can be dealt with in the same manner today. Is it not written, right? No matter what problem you have, no matter what situation you're going through, His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life 
and godliness, according to 2 Peter 1.3. So the temple, and Jesus says, my house, as Jesus refers to it, and we're going to look at Isaiah 56.7 in just a second. He says, they were making the house of God a den of thieves. Thieves. You know, Jesus in John 10, 10, when he's talking about, I'm the good shepherd, you remember he talks about this thief. And he says, a thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. A thief doesn't have the right mind frame, do they? I remember back in the day, and I'm ashamed to say it, that I was a part of some thievery. Not necessarily going into somebody's house, but I was a part of ripping people off. And that's what these people were a part of. And when Jesus goes into the temple, it was unacceptable. Why was that the case, though? Why was Jesus so upset? Why did He overturn these tables? Why did He bring these people out of the temple because He was so upset? Because they were treating the house of God as something it wasn't. The respect for the house of God was gone. Think about what the temple was. Turn to Isaiah 56, 7. It is a perfect example of what the temple was. They would come and gather and go to Jerusalem to the temple and look what he says in verse 7. Isaiah 56, 7. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer and make them and their burnt offerings, their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. It was a place people came to worship. It was a place where people came to pray. They should be praying joyfully, right? To God. And it was the place where they offered their sacrifices. And here were people who were using that to their advantage. Unacceptable. And I would say, and you would probably say too, that there was some emotion in Jesus. There was some emotion in Jesus. Turn with me to John chapter 2 really quick. John chapter 2. We talked about it in class and I told them that this was kind of where I was going to uh, make my main thrust of my lesson. And and it's true because uh, this is uh, really who Jesus was. He was about His Father's business. Amen? Would you say that? And in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22 is the whole account. And I don't have time to talk about it. But again, here he was early in his ministry. Early. He goes into the temple. It's on the Passover. And guess what he finds in verse 14? He found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. So he gets a whip of cords, and he drives them out. Again, unacceptable. And in verse 16 he says, And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then his disciples remembered that it was written. There it is again. It was written, Zeal 
for your house has eaten me up. Eaten me up. It's consumed me. He goes on. The Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? And in verse 19 he says, Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Could you imagine being a Jew? Could you imagine knowing your whole life that that's where you went to worship and pray and bring your sacrifices? And here was a rabbi, here was a man standing and saying, destroy this temple and in three days, guess what? In three days, I'm going to raise it up. I'm going to raise it back up. And look what they say in verse 20. It has taken 46 years to build this temple, man. 46 years. And you're going to build it up in three days? I don't think so. I don't think so, man. Would you believe that if somebody came to you and said that? We're going to go rip down the White House, and then in three days it'll be rebuilt. Probably Mark Triplett's the only one that could do that, right? Love you, Mark. But think about it. He wasn't talking about a physical temple. Jesus is moving early in his ministry. He begins to talk about what? A spiritual temple. And guess where that is? Look at what it says in verse 21. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. I love it. I love Jesus. I love how he ties it in. The Bible just weaves together. Jesus is perfect in the way he designs and sets up things. He's no longer talking about this physical temple that they were totally disrespecting, which he was angry and upset about, but now he's talking about a spiritual temple, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. He did it at the beginning, and he did it at the end. What was going on again at the house of God was displeasing to the point that he had to clean it out, right? He had to clean the mess out. It had become a wonder of the world. It became something that people were in awe of. It was a place where people did uh, business. I said in class, it was a flea market. It had become a flea market. But Jesus had zeal for the house of the Lord. He understood what it meant. He understood what the, the house of God was supposed to be. If you would, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This morning I want to talk about our zeal. I want to talk about our zeal and how big of a deal we think the temple of God is. How big of a deal is the temple of God to us? 1 Corinthians, and I don't really have time to deal with it, uh, down in verse uh, 13 through 15, it's a scripture that many people talk and discuss and I don't really want to spend a whole lot of time there because I want to... Uh, you talk about verse 16 and 17. But 
uh, just kind of a quick summary. Uh, in verse 5 of chapter 3, Paul says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. And then he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And then in verse 11 he talks about, tell, you know, he's a minister to the gospel. He's a minister for people becoming children of God. And in verse 11 he says, remember this though, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus, which is Jesus Christ. So if we're going to build a foundation on somebody obeying the gospel, what do they have to believe? In Jesus, right? It is about Jesus. It is about what He did for us. And then he goes on and he talks about if anyone builds in verse uh, number... 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it. On judgment, our job as Christians are to do what? Go and preach the gospel. I can plant, I can water, I can do all of those things. But when somebody obeys the gospel that I've been a part of, it's not on me for them to continue through. It's their job, right? Yes, I need to go and encourage. I need to go and help and be a part of those things. But it says, if anyone's work is burned, whether it's gold, silver, hay, straw, if anyone's work is burned, what you've done, what you've helped uh, this person in becoming a child of God, you're a minister, you're planting and watering, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so as through fire. And here's where I want to focus in on. Verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Think about that. He uses this earthly illustration talking about adding people to this foundation and guess what he's talking about? A temple. Brethren, Christians, guess what? We are the temple of God. He says, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy you. Because why? Because the temple is holy. You see, God thinks the temple is a big deal. And brethren, we are the temple of God. As a whole, as a collective group, we are the church, the body, the temple of God. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. This is beautiful how the Bible just, it, it just weaves together. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 13 through 22. <clears throat> He's talking about the Gentiles and the Jews becoming one flesh, okay? 
And he says in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in Himself one new man from two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. Both Gentile and both Jew are one body now in Christ Jesus. Amen? We are one body. Okay? And then he says, through the cross, therefore, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now listen to this, brethren. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, which is what? Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. When they would build the buildings back in the day, the only way that the building would have be sound in the structure was to have the chief cornerstone right. Level, the right size, the right amount, the strength right. All of that was good. And when it was good, then the building would be safe. Amen? And Jesus being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Gentile Jew brought together one body, no longer strangers, no longer foreigners, but fellow citizens and saints and members of this household of God. And we are fitted together and we're growing into a holy temple. It's beautiful. In Jesus' day, the temple was also to be considered holy, right? It was sanctified. Looking at these two areas of Scripture, we see that the temple of God, this holy place for today, for us, is the body of Christ. Or as Ephesians 1.22 says, the church, which is the body. Here's the question. Do we have as much zeal for the church today as Jesus did for the temple back then. And if we do, do we show it? Think about the word zeal. Excitement of mind. Fervor of spirit. Pursuing. Defending. With fierceness. You know, I hear this more and more. I talk to... uh, Two of my buddies, one last week and the one the week before that. Me and him are uh, beginning of talking about some things uh, according to the Bible. And he made this statement. 
He said, you know, it's not about the church. It's about Jesus. And he kind of did his hand like that. And I say amen to that. I say amen that it's all about Jesus. I say uh, every time somebody would tell me that it's about Jesus. But what's so important to understand about this is that the church is what Jesus loves the most. Amen? Yeah, for God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Why do they have everlasting life? Because they're added to the church, the ecclesia, the called out people. It's what He died for. (laughs) So we could be a part of something. So we could be the household of God. So we could belong to this holy temple. It's beautiful. To the church. Listen to this. To His bride. Ephesians 5.27 says this. 5.25-27 it says this. Husbands... Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present to her, present her to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. We're special people, brethren. We are a part of a holy temple. Is that a big deal? Think about this. If you're married today, look at your wife and tell me she's not important. I ain't doing it. At all. I'm not doing it. She keeps me straight. Danny told y'all last week, right? Jesus died so that He could present us as a glorious church. It was a big deal to Him. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it would be holy and without blemish. And when the Lord adds us to the church, that's what... We are the prize possession. We are the prize possession. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6, and I'm about done. 1 Corinthians 6. I'm sorry to turn us to so many scriptures, but uh, what you can see is that the Bible has the uh, very same thing to say all the way through. It backs itself up over and over and over again if it's the truth. Amen? So here we are. 1 Corinthians 6. He's talking about glorifying uh, God in our bodies individually. And in verse 18 he talks about uh, fleeing sexual immorality. Uh, And every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And listen to what he says in verse 19. Or do you not know, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, or do you not know that your body 
is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. And you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. As a child of God, one who has been brought into the household of the Lord, we should consider it an honor. Somebody cared enough about us to die for us. So shouldn't we care enough about what we say? Shouldn't we care enough about what we do, about where we go, about who we hang with, about what we teach and how we teach it? Let me bring it back to the beginning of the lesson. If we see anything in our life that is going to disrespect the Lord and His church, His temple, His bride, shouldn't we be upset? Shouldn't that bother us? To the point that we clean it out or we clean it up. We see it and we address it. Now, am I saying go in and, and, and start turning tables over? You're probably not going to be able to handle it like Jesus. I know I wouldn't. If I started turning over tables, ain't no telling what I'm fixing to do next, right? We see from Jesus' time that the Jews had gotten used to using the temple as a house of merchandise. And even more harsh, a den of thieves. Is our life filled with material things? Is our spirit filled with a lack of importance on who we represent and what we're a part of? And I can't stress this point enough, and really it makes me emotional to think about it. We were bought at a price. At a price. The price was a man's death. Somebody died for us. If you were about to be killed for something that you were guilty of, something that you were guilty of, and you're walking down uh, wherever it's at, and you're headed to the place where you're fixing to be killed, could you imagine the anxiety and the emotion going through you? I couldn't. And then as you get close to the place, the man who's going to kill you, he says, hold on a minute. Hold on. If anybody in the crowd wants to die for this man, this guilty man, you can right now. And then somebody stands up. <laughs> somebody gets up out of the crowd and says, I'll do it. I'll take his place. Think about that. How would you feel? Guess what, brethren? As Christians, that really happened. That guy that took our place. Because guess what? The penalty for sin, the payment for sin is death. But Jesus said, I'll do it. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to present you a glorious body without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. And I want you to be a part of something that's pure. I want you to be a part of something that I command you to do and the way I tell you to do it, do it, please. Shouldn't our zeal for the church let us recognize Hebrews 10.25? 
Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. He made it possible for us to gather together, to worship together, to encourage each other together. We live in America, brethren. It took His life. It took His life for us. Shouldn't our zeal for the church and what it means and represents allow us to attack the sin in our life and repent when we mess up and confess our sins to the Lord? Shouldn't our zeal for the temple we belong to encourage us to be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks about the hope that's in us? Hey, we get to go to heaven, brethren. Huh? We get to go to heaven and be with Jesus one day. I'm ready to back tell somebody about the truth. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm excited to be a part of a called out people. I'm special. I'm a royal priesthood. Shouldn't the zeal in us for the body allow us to be making sure false doctrine doesn't creep in to the assembly? And if it does be willing to do what we need to do, whether it's talk to the elders, whatever the problem is to solve it? Or is it something to just say, eh, I appreciate it. Good looking out, Jesus. <laughs> appreciate what you did, man. And then leave here and go into the world and do whatever we think is right in our own eyes. Just like they did in Judges. Never putting ourselves in check and saying, this is unacceptable. I represent the bride of Christ. I represent something special. And I want people to know it and be a part of it. I want to show people how happy and how grateful I am to be a part of the church. And I'm going to tell you right now, this has put a challenge on my heart. I've been challenged by this. Because I want to be one who represents the church in a way that brings glory and honor to His name. And to also be a city, this congregation, brethren, we can be a city that is set on a hill that shines so bright that the world sees it. And they see the way to heaven and they see the way to Jesus. Yes, it's about Jesus. Absolutely. I want to close with reading this. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23 and 24. In the context, he's talking about the Corinthians who had uh, the ability to talk in tongues and uh, prophecy, and he's dealing with them uh, in the assembly. But I want you to catch what he says. We don't have the ability to do that now. We do have the ability to do something, and I'm going to read it in just a second. He says, Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all and he is convicted by all. 
Listen to this now, brethren. And thus, if an unbeliever comes in here and he sits down in this assembly, is this the way he feels? And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed and so falling on his face. He will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Brethren, we are the temple of God and the Spirit dwells within us. Do we show it? Do we give the glory and honor that only He deserves? And when people come in that have never seen anything that comes to worshiping in spirit and truth, do they truly believe that God is among us? John 4.24 says, God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Brethren, I hope that we've our worship today has been in spirit and truth. I feel uh, very humbled by this lesson. It encourages me to want to strive to be better as a Christian, to be better as an example for the church, for the body of Christ, and to be better at allowing people to see that the only way to heaven is through Jesus and His gospel. You may be here today and you need to obey the gospel. Maybe you aren't a child of God. Maybe you don't belong to the household of God. Here's how you do it. You believe who Jesus is. You believe what He did. He came to this earth. He died. He was buried and He rose again. And you must be willing to repent. Jesus said, unless you repent, you'll all perish. You will all perish. You won't make it. Repent and turn from that old man. And be willing to confess in front of people that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ. He is that chosen Messiah and being baptized in water for the remission of your sins. Ananias told Paul in Acts twenty two sixteen. he said, What are you waiting on? God has plans for you, man. Get up and get baptized and wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. If you want to call on the name of the Lord, you can do it through obedience to the gospel and begin a faithful journey that will end when Jesus says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Here's the crown of life. Revelations 2.10. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. If you need to obey the gospel, if you need to repent, sorry to keep you so long, brethren, but I love y'all, and I love Jesus Christ. Come right now. Together we stand and sing.